to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Courtney from the Cult of Domesticity with the Drunk Thunks. Hi, guys. Oh. Bonjour. What's the fuck? Shut up, Jake. Ew. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Drunk Thunks. I'm Michael. I'm Brittany. <laughs> Why is she British? I'm Brittany. I'm Brittany. I was just trying to do like... <laughs> Ow. <laughs> and I'm Jake, a rockin' and a rollin' all night long. <laughs> fuck, that's a good one. <laughs> We've also been here for 12 days. We're locked in Michael's apartment, his poor room. So, what do you guys know about the great train robbery? Nothing. It was pretty cool. Very little. It sounds like it was pretty great. I know Michael Crichton wrote a book about it. Was it Michael Crichton? Yeah. Oh, he writes Michael. Yeah. Michael Crichton, I say in air quotes, wrote about a lot of stuff. Well... Wrote in past tense, he is dead. <laughs> Michael Murray. And he had a movie come out, the title of come out last so, year. So, <laughs> real quick, I'm going off some very base knowledge. I know there, wasn't there like the first Western was an old silent film? Wasn't it also called The Great Train Robbery? Yes, this is not that one. I was going to say, this is the British one, right? Yes. That's as far as I know. I've got so, nothing else. I found out about this via the BBC. Thanks, BBC. They Good. did a two-part miniseries on this with the... First part being the planning of the robbery via the criminals, which starred Luke Evans, which is why I was bringing up Luke Evans. Thank you. And this is Body. where I, this is where I discovered Case. Luke Evans. Right. Um, he plays the lead. Uh, and then the second episode was really the investigation, and it stars Jim Brandt hmm. of Harry Potter. Yes, my man. <laughs> I'm going my with, man. <laughs> going with Harry Potter. Who was he? Who was he in Harry Potter? The final defense against, or the potions master who replaces Snape, who doesn't. Oh, die. Slughorn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So the last book I so read. There's so many fucking people in those movies that I can't keep track. Yeah. So. Stru- Sorry, Slughorn just gets me all worked up. My <laughs> audience is going to enjoy those problems. So it's a train traveling from Glasgow down to London. Okay. Nothing remarkable about it. Other than that, it's getting better the further south. Other than that, Luke Evans is on it. Luke Evans will meet the train. Oh, best friends. Run away with the train. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, 12 cars powered by a single diesel locomotive, and it's the mobile post office known as the Up Special. So it's carrying postal staff as they're going sort mail and packages en route to London. And they do this for, they've been doing this for 125 years. That's a really neat system. Like you do the mail work en route to your yeah. delivery. That's awesome. It makes sense. Also, what was the route called? The Up Special? Yeah. I kind of love it. I don't know why it's... So oh, that sounds... That... <laughs> this happens for 125 years until August 8, 1963. 1963? Yeah. Damn. Hmm. It's pretty recent. That got night, the dorm for a loop. That night, uh, it was carrying a large amount of cash in its second car where the registered mail was sold. And it's larger because there was a bank holiday. Woo! Woo! How British of them. So people probably be drinking, having a good time, spending all the dollars. <laughs> As them British It cuts do. to a British person like, I say, we could buy another... Round? Another piss cup. Oh my god, you know what I can buy? Right around 3 a.m. near the Bredego Railway Bridge in Buckinghamshire, England, a gang of thieves stole... Dun, dun, dun. Dicks. They stole 120... Sacks of banknotes equaling anybody want a hundred million dollars. I'm going to say. Well, it's in pounds. A hundred million pounds. I'm going to say, let's say fifty million. Nope, sorry, fifty thousand pounds. It's going to be underwhelming. Um, I'm going to go for the over/under and say twenty million pounds. 
two million pounds. Remember, it's the sixties. Okay. Um, Literally sucked my dick. I was the closest. <laughs> Which would be about. I was, a, I was. By degrees of magnitude, she was. She said a hundred million. You said twenty million. No, you said. I said one million. Oh yeah, well, no, yeah, you were by far the closest. Yeah. yeah. Which would be at the time seven million dollars. Or more than fifty million today from the second car. So. Yeah, I I commit a crime for that much. Um, in the sixties, fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a time fuck to steal yeah. like a million dollars. Car. But everyone's prospects in Great Britain were so good. He said. <laughs> I think they had just gotten <laughs> off rations. I mean, seriously. Yeah, no, they had just gotten off rations, and then they're about to hit the seventies, right. which aren't great for Britain. And then People Margaret were- Thatcher. People were like considering Whoa. leaving the steel mill, and then uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it took fifteen men to pull off this robbery with a couple of accomplices. Let's go through the cast of characters. Yeah. So we have Bruce Reynolds. He left school at the age of fourteen. Hot. Um, he failed to join the Royal Navy because of poor eyesight, and then he's hot. like, "I'm going to become a foreign correspondent." He repli- he applies um, to. Northcliffe House, and he gets first employed as a messenger boy, then works in accounts of the Daily Mail. Yes, it's been around that long. Oh, the Daily Mail. <laughs> Plying Daily. us with shit for generations. Honestly, one of my favorite news sources for funny stories. <laughs> um, at 17, he was he got bored with, like, you know, messenger jobbing, mm-hmm. and he moved to the Bland Sutton Institute of Pathology at Middlesex Hospital, and <laughs> kind of started... That's a jump. <laughs> Jake... <laughs> Every time I laugh at a joke now, you are not allowed to look at me the way you have been every time I laugh at a joke. <laughs> Go on. No eye contact. No, no, no. We'll get you blinders. Honestly. <laughs> um, he then joins Claude Butler as a bicycle messenger and a member of the semi-professional racing team where he begins his life of crime. Because bicycles cry. I mean, it's the, as like, the saddest form of like gang. Oh, yes, what a bicycle gang. <laughs> With baskets in the part that's the actual gun. Those huge bicycles with like the huge wheels and they're like. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, like a bicentennial bike. Yes. This, this is 1960, not 1906. But that's what I'm picturing. You can't Let get off that by yourself. Did you ever see? Sorry, go ahead. I'll talk about this later. So they do some petty crime. He ends up spending time in uh, HMNP. Wormwood scrubs and Borstal for theft. He escapes, gets caught, goes to Reading Prison. Six weeks in there of the required two years. um, He moved to the National Service in the British Army and then runs away again. Can I ask a question? Um, He escaped from a prison in England. Yes. Where are you going to go? You can drive across the whole country in like four hours. It's about seven, but yes. But uh, you know what I mean, though, right? Like The cops aren't going to look for you outside a certain uh, circumference. They still have jurisdictions, I'm guessing. Yeah, okay. yeah I, I'm more just like, ho-ho, I've escaped. Like, where, where are you going to go? France. You're on an island. Have you asked Michael, <laughs> you go to France. <laughs> you do go to France. I don't like how Michael, you didn't mean that. to do that. <laughs> and I wasn't even a criminal. See how easy it is? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know how he got there. He woke up there. One can do it on accident. <laughs> I have. So he's caught again, sentenced to three years in 1952 for breaking and entering. He goes to the juvenile wing of Wandsworth Prison in London. Then he graduates to jewelry theft from larger country houses, which is smarter because they're I not mean, there. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like you're way less likely to get, likely to get caught in this. Well, yeah, you just they're have... more likely to notice when they come back, though. They're That's like, let me true. wear my fancy inherited necklace. And they're like, but by then. Mom, it's gone. But it's... by then you're gone for like a few months. Yeah. Honestly, that makes sense. It's, it's a much safer a crime. But they're rich enough that the police care. They give a fuck because they're paying them. They're like, yeah, here's it's... an extra 20 pounds. Tuppence. <laughs> 
Have some tea. We're beyond the tuppence point. I don't know a thing about British people. <laughs> Our periodization is all over the place. I think it's because it's a train robbery. I keep wanting to think of it as I being keep thinking older. Old West. You're thinking of Victorian train robbery. Right. I, I need to get into like Austin Powers is like the yes. time period. <laughs> In 1957, Reynolds was arrested together with Terry Hogan for assault and robbery of a bookmaker returning from the White City Greyhounds, aka with 500 pounds. And they oh. believe that it was like the intent of the cost attack was grievous bodily harm and not robbery. So they were just going to beat the shit up. So if they just beat up a guy and they're like, hey, here's 500 pounds in his wallet. Let's take that he, too. He's a bookie. A bookie. Oh, bookie. okay. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So Hogan gets two and a half years and Reynolds resides a Houdini of prison. He's released in 1960s when he becomes an antique dealer. And Google Let's just exist. keep on going. Honestly, antique dealer's kind of fun. You're like a character in Indiana Jones at that right. point. He then joins a gang with his future best friend, Harry Booth, and future brother-in-law, John. Aww. Keep it in the... He works with Jimmy White and met Buster Edwards at Charlie Cobb, who then uh, Richardson introduces him to Gordon. Goody, and he gets the name, Mon- like the, the crime name, Napoleon, in 1962 when his gang stole 62000 in a security van robbery of- at London Heathrow. Pretty good. You know what? Damn. They then tried to rob a Royal Mail train at Swindon, which only got them 700 pounds. Not so good. No. <laughs> you went from a lot of pounds to not a lot of pounds. Can't win them all, That's right? That's my dream. He's looking for the next career-defining moment, and he begins to rob. And... Then we go to Douglas Gordon Goody, deputy organizer in Southwest. So this is the... Got it. The Southwest. So basically the first guy kind of attached to this gang, right? Yeah, they're all attached, so they're all together. Okay, I just mean like the first guy was more of an outsider, and then this is the gang. Am I misunderstanding? They kind of form it together. Okay, okay. They all come together. Yeah. It'd be like a group of friends being like, oh, we're all good at these settings. Yeah, or like a group of people who do podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Who does that? Yeah, deciding to rob an armored car. Why? Isaac. So then we move to Ronald Buster Edwards. Oh, what a daring nickname, Buster. He left school. I feel like this guy walks in. And he's like eight hundred pounds, and he's got fists the size of hang of like ham hocks, and he's called Buster because he busts you your call face me in. Buster. <laughs> I'm sorry. So he leaves school, works at a sausage factory, where he begins his career in the criminal sphere by stealing meat to sell on the post-war black market. Again. Rationing. Right. Oh, honestly, right. honestly I'm not going to lie. That sounds fun. <laughs> that sounds like a great job. Oh, I that had to stink so bad. No, I mean like selling black market meat. I don't know why that sounds like a Do you want some long job. pig? Some long pig for you? Yeah. Oh, he then gets into the national service because war. Um, joining the RAF where he was detained for stealing cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Most oh. British of crimes. Smuggling fags is a big problem. <laughs> Royal. Really? That's what sets you off? <laughs> After that, Edwards returns to London, South London, where he runs a drinking club, becomes a professional cr- criminal, marries in 1952. He was then involved with the theft of 62,000 pounds. Can which... you back up to what a drink club is? It's an unofficial bar. Is it? I bet it's where you buy beer and then sell it at a slightly higher cost. In and so basement. everybody just because prohibition wasn't a thing in the UK, so right. it's just yeah. it's just a club. Okay. And you just instead of sit around and smoke cigarettes and read newspapers like a gentleman's club, you drink. That's really British. That okay. Um. So the sixty-two thousand pounds would be approximately one point three million today from the Comet House 
the headquarters of the British Overseas Airway Corporation, so the same uh, crime Richardson, and he manages to put other. So like people were captured and arrested for that, yeah. and they kind of knew who was involved, but they couldn't catch him. So really, if you think about it, it's a long game of uh, image of catch me if you can the movie, yeah. yeah, but with a train robbery. I'm all on board. Charlie Wilson, my man. My man. Um, so he actually started out with being childhood friends with Jimmy Hussey, Tommy Wisby, Bruce Reynolds, and Gordon. Okay. Some of our artists. He's already integrated. From he's already right. He's all in. Yeah. Um, he met uh, Edwards and the young driving enthusiasts, uh, Mickey Ball and Roy James, and they took up car theft. He was in national service from 58 or 48 to 58, and he married in 55. He had three children. A lot of these people have, like, wives and families while they're doing this, which I'm... Well, yeah, why else are you going to crime? You got to support that family. He turned to crime early in life and basically spurned his father's like legitimate but low I don't want to work in like the mill mill. why work in the mill when I can sit there and steal cars father father (laughs) father why he did actually work legitimately in his in-laws grocery shop while he was also a thief and he'd get into various gambling enterprises off of jail in the 1960s he began to Bruce Reynolds which I just imagine is like superheroes yeah like suddenly you're cast in lock stock and two smoking barrels yeah Um, so you know you're fighting Captain America He's also involved in the 62 robbery from Heathrow and the Royal Mail train robbery at Swinton joins in the plan. Robbie Biggs. Some of these people are quite, because it's so recent. They publish. There's like a lot of info on these guys. On some of them, there's no info. And some of them, there's so much info. Yeah. And you're just like, you wrote a book on your life after you ran from <laughs> the cops and you've been living in Argentina. What? That's, That's great. That's kind of the dream. Yeah, you know, that you sounds know what that awesome. Is? You know what that is? That's a big dick in Ronnie Biggs. At 18, he enlisted in the Royal Air Force, dishonorably discharged for desertion two years later after he broke into a local chemist shop, a.k.a. Pharmacy. One month later, he's convicted of stealing a car, goes to prison, released, took part in the attempted robbery of a bookmaker office in Lambeth, South Oh, big haul. Mm-hmm. Incarcerated at HMM Wandsworth, where he meets Reynolds. This is his third prince prison sentence and he tries to go straight and gets trained as a carpenter. She's like, I'm done with this. I'm done going to prison. He's going straight. Uh, February 1960, he marries Swanage. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, God, not since my thesis I've seen so many fun Right. <laughs> he needs money to deposit a, the deposit for a purchase of a house for his family and for on the house of a train driver who's about to retire. So... He has been previously identified as Stan Agate, or because of his old age, Old Pete, or Pop. No one knows his actual name. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to get to that point. That's such a weird thing for, like, the 1960s. There's a lot of things we don't don't know, people we don't know their name of. I know the 1960s aren't now, like, it's not a time where you can just kind of vanish off the map. Or, correction, now isn't a time you can vanish off the map like you could in the 60s, per se. But it's so weird to think of some, like, not knowing someone's name from the 60s. I feel like they all just agreed not to say names. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that's it. Honestly, if someone was caught, you knew you could say their name. Right. Well, they're all professionals at this Mm -hmm. point. Like, honestly, it sounds like all of them have enough of a criminal record to where, you know, you have almost kind of a professional pride like a professional coach so he was the one who introduced biggs to the train robbery plot so he was kind of he's like well i'm not gonna be here but well you know you gotta get that deposit for a house i bought a house i get it yeah (laughs) so reynolds gave biggs the job of arranging for agate to move the train after it had been way late so basically after it had been we go to roy james he was the chief getaway driver nicknamed weasel (laughs) fun that's such a shit nickname (laughs) 
Um, he also left... No, 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 we're calling you Weasel. <laughs> it, sorry. He would be the one who would leave fingerprints at their hideout and would be caught after a rooftop chase. So super fun. It's like it's, a, it's like out of a movie. I know. Yeah, no, this is literally could be a movie. You're like, this well, hasn't it been a movie? Yeah, there's a lot of pop culture. Yeah. Um, he was also a silversmith and a proficient race car driver. And he, oh wow, what the what heck? the fuck is this? <laughs> Who is this person leading a charmed life? This Renaissance man. Yes, <laughs> he this was, guy. <laughs> he's planning to use his money in new car technology. Sorry, real quick, what's this guy's name again? This is Roy John James. He's my favorite. I'm gonna go ahead and say it right <laughs> now. Let's. Say Someone else has like a really great background. Roy John James is my favorite. Who right? is he? He's <laughs> an international man of mystery who rides race, drives race cars, and Smith like, Silver, <laughs> like Paul Revere. He's a modern Paul Revere. Yeah, he's Paul Revere, but not wow. Now. Yeah, that we know of. He could be, you know, you know, the crime. Yeah. Um, Roger Corroy. Corroy. He's the train stopper and electronics expert. He was the leader of the South Coast Raiders. Tom Wisby. He's a bookie and self-confessed heavy. What the fuck is that? <laughs> I couldn't I feel like that. I feel like that's someone that's just like, I don't have like a full theater. Hello, lads. So I'm the heavy. Or like he's like the, like the heavy. Mince pie enthusiast. I will say. <laughs> he's me. Between watching and playing Love Island, oh. I don't know a fuck about British slang. Uh, I'm going like- to go ahead and say it. I feel like I heavy know would be like he's security, like I, I would imagine right. so. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. I'm just saying it's also He's the goofy. big guy that shows up and hits <laughs> it's people. Fucking silly. Yeah. Because it was his job to frighten the train staff. There you go. We have yeah. Jim Hussey, who's the muscle in South Coast. <laughs> the seductress. What, what Jake? <laughs> what? We have Bob Welch, who is or- who helped organize and uh, provided muscle, and he's also from the South Coast Raiders. Brian Field, he served two years in the Royal Army Service Corps, serving in Korea. He's discharged, and it was with a very good character. Oh, so British. She says in air quotes. That is, you're it right. Was that's, air no, quotes. you're right. That's very British. It's very British. He was a good lad. <laughs> um, <Talk>. Punctual. <laughs> he's 18 when the war is over, and he's very successful, personal, and professionally. He gets married to a German girl. He becomes a solicitor's managing clerk for John Weeder and Co. Uh, was 28 at the time of the robbery, and he already so. Field was 28 at the time of the robbery. He was already more successful than his boss, John Weeder. That's a good place to yeah, be. Yeah, fuck yeah. Good for you. He drove a new Jaguar, had a house Ooh. called Cabri, which was an anagram of his um, wife and his name. Oh, Karen. someday I hope to make enough money to name a house. And it, this was at Bridal Path Whitchurch in Oxfordshire near Pangbourne, while his boss owned a battered Ford and lived in a rundown near- <laughs> That's Maybe. awesome. That's the best revenge I can think of. Sure thing, John. I'll go get your cappuccino. Well, no, you know Maybe he's uh, like <laughs> Jimmy or not, who owns a billionaire out of Omaha. Oh, shit. Um, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he- Jack Welsh. No. No? I've got no clue. He, Warren Buffett? Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh I was wow, that was a guess. I was going to say Jimmy Buffett. I was like, that is not correct. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. But he owns the same house he bought. It's like a, a simple colonial. Yep. His kids had to convince him to buy a new car. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That's great. Field was not against having giving some of his clients or less savory clients good information on, on what some of his wealthier clients had in their country houses aka being like hey thieves they got some good shit over there they're not going to be home in two weeks so he's a snitch but yeah. like not necessarily in a bad way it's just he gives people leads yeah did you say not 
in a bad he way. He sells information. Yeah, I think that I, you can be a snitch and not have it be bad, necessarily. You can also be a snitch and be a rat, uh, like a rat bastard. Yeah, he's basically a crooked solicitor, crooked lawyer. Yeah. And for the crew, they're like, hey, he could uh, arrange alibis, witness statements, bribe police and witnesses, so everything. This guy's my favorite. <laughs> Is it the same guy as before? No, no, that was the race car driver. The crooked lawyer is now my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's the managing clerk in his law firm, he's able to do this out without like raising any alarms. And he actually, at one occasion, described the contents and layout of a house near Weybridge where his wife, Karen, had once been a nanny to a couple of criminals that he represented at various times in his career, which would be Gordon Goody and Buster Edwards. So he's like, oh yeah, I know these guys. Like, everyone's connected. Well, yeah, it sounds... There's already a web there. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it sounds like there's a, um... What's a good way to say it? They're all fish in the same pond. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's kind of one of those things, if you don't know someone directly, you right. know a guy who They all run them. in the same circles. Yeah. So... He actually arranged arranged Buster's defense when he had been caught with a stolen car and would later meet Goody at a nightclub in Soho. He was called upon to assist in the defense of Goody in the aftermath of the airport job, which was the 1962 robbery. And this really interesting was the practice. Oh, that's fun. Which they failed at. Oh. They did a dry That's a seven, run? That was the seven hundred dollar one. <laughs> oh, right, really? I believe that was the seven. Okay, not not. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt here, but to ask a legitimate question. Oh no, that's a that's a successful one. That was a sixty two thousand. The oh, okay. mail train at Swindon. That was the failure. I said, if you're doing a job where like a failure can end in you being arrested, why would you try a dry run? You try a dry run at a similar kind of security base, but different. Than but I mean, if you fail, you end up in jail for a few years. Like if you fail, it messes the whole thing up. But then you have a few years to plan. I don't know. I don't know. I I disagree, but I'm not a professional criminal. Different strokes for different folks. Yeah. You have to also think it's the 60s, so mm-hmm. less surveillance. Huh. And less Back when people were free. To beat their wives <laughs> and punch strangers. God, oh, we wow. should be so lucky. <laughs> so he also arranged bail for Goody and Charlie Wilson. So he's really crucial because he's that like legitimate guy. So they're like, we got this lawyer. He's, like, your, oh. he's your real connection. He's right? Saul in Breaking Bad. You need a criminal lawyer. There you go. Yeah. And he would also arrange the informants who knew the details. And he also would arrange the escape with the loot and purchasing hideouts in a leather slade farm and was entrusted in school. Leonard Field was also helped with the purchase of leather slade farm, which was the hideout. And he thought the plan was for to hijack lorry or a truckload of cigarettes. Uh-huh. That, if God, anyone's watched, say what you were going to say. No, no, no. I just love every, like, if you watch Peaky Blinders, stealing cigarettes was a... It was, it was like a whole industry. Honestly, legitimately, it was very, very profitable. It was lucrative. Yeah. Um, Jimmy White, he was a former paratrooper known as the Quartermaster. So, um, William Bull. It's like all of these soldiers came back from the war and then looked well, at their me. prospects. And, and goes, well, I'm fucked. Let's well, cr- it's almost cr- like what happens every time you have a society that comes back from a war that suddenly doesn't have a lot of jobs for ex-soldiers. Right. What else are they going to do? They, they have, have PTSD have certain... and they need to act And they've up. got a certain set of skills. Exactly. That lend themselves to this to kind of activity. potentially crime or at least violence. So, Bull is an accomplice of Roger Cordry, the Ulster Man. We- oh, that's fun. <laughs> Michael and I both like fans of Irish history. Both hear Ulster Man and go, <laughs> so apparently his identity has come out. It's still like I think it was like at the Guardian or Daily Mail. So I'm just like, yeah, who knows? Also, all the fact is all of them are getting older at this point, so it's like memory right. comes into effect. Yeah. He would be a key informant and organizer. 
and John Daly, another train stopper, brother-in-law of Reynolds, Mrs. They also had accomplices known as Mr. One, Mr. Two, Mr. Three. Peter brought in to drive the train, which was uh, John Weeder, who secured the safe. Is this Reservoir, do- uh, Reservoir Dogs yet? Sorry, I'm just... There's too many people. <laughs> Mr. One, Mr. Two, Mr. Three, yeah. Mr. Pink, Mr. Blue, Mr. White. Right. I think we're, like... By the end of it, there's like 15 people plus accomplices, so it gets around yeah. 20. Which makes sense. It's a train. Need it's a people. train. It's a, uh, yeah, this yeah. is a big people. job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So They didn't call it the average train. <laughs> no. And we really don't know who had the idea first, but Bruce Reynolds um, is known to be the mastermind. mastermind, And that is who Luke Evans plays. It doesn't have great ratings that I am highly But it's it. got Luke Evans. Hey. I loved it. I thought it was really clever how they filmed it. Like, like the crimes. So you get the crime drama, and yeah. then you get the police drama after it and i love jim brent too you enjoy what you enjoy there's nothing wrong with that so he assembles his crew in 1962 he starts with his own men the southwest gang choosing gang members gordy goody a london hairdresser and part-time thief to be his number two they worked out details and they're like hey we don't have enough people let's get more people that's how we get the oceans 11 montage scene of them getting in the rest of the group um so they decided grabbing former Boxer turned nightclub owner Buster Edwards, Southeast Gang, and it's like, okay, we've got two gangs together, we can do a robbery. They obtain the train's details, its schedule, amount of cash it would be carrying, the car it would be on, and the number of workers. You know, most of these crimes, they don't want to kill anyone because that's a worse problem. Yeah, certainly it, the like. It becomes a much bigger issue if you yeah. have some. If, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. They're going to look for you a little bit harder. Yeah. Uh, especially because it's going to be a federal. In the center. Yeah. So they were like, hey, bank holiday, any holiday, a lot more right. bars, spend more money. It makes back. sense. So There's le- probably less people present. Yeah. And, it, it and more money sense. being spent, so they're going to the, send yep. it back down to the Bank of London. Yep. On, uh, so they realized on August 5th, 1963, he tapped into an insider who would be known as the Ulsterman to find out the day the train would be carrying that cash to London. Mm-hmm. So the Ulsterman is the key info person that we still don't really know mm-hmm. who it was. Yeah, just that he's... That's just the nickname they gave him. He could have been, like, from southern London. Yeah, that would be knows? the best, like, cover. <laughs> right. Be like, oh, here's <laughs> Northern <laughs> Ireland over here. And he's like, yeah, totally. Just I had tea with the kid the other day. And over here is Boston. Yeah, sure, I've come from Boston. <laughs> like the most southern accent. For sure, yeah. brother. <laughs> I do declare they call me the North Dakotan. <laughs> Michael knows what I was going for. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's got men, information, and the date. One problem. How do you stop a train? Dynam. I was going to say, yeah. But you need, it, you need to move it so it's not stuck on the track so people don't realize it's... Uh-huh. Um, you hmm. put someone in front of the track. Sorry, everyone. I've been playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption. Um, you get a really dastardly mustache, right? You, and then you oh. take a really oh, hot... Oh, the Snidely Whiplash route. Yeah, you take a really hot, blonde, southern woman, right? And you tie her up. You mean you? Real good. I'm not... I'm not southern. You're from Kentucky. You're Kentucky. You're southern enough. Oh, Lordy B. <laughs> I do declare. <laughs> no, I'm talking about what's the, um, like, Penelope Pit Stop level. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Tie her to the trail. Uh, like the you could tracks. purchase 7,000 donkeys. Are we just up. doing a thing here? Are we just going to throw out ideas until we get tired? Courtney, how do you steal a train? <laughs> or stop a train? So, Roger Cordray actually came up with the answer. So, you know, you have stoplights as you drive cars that do, like, red. Yep. Okay. And trains also have signals to stop. Green means go. Amber means slow down. Red means stop. And he was like, why don't we just fix 
Honestly, like, you know what? That <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You yeah. just kind of co-op like someone's desire yep. to just do their jobs. Yep. How, Shit, that's really clever. Obviously. How did they fix that? I'm doing air quotes too. I'm gonna say not well by paying someone. No. Oh. Um, using black paper and leather gloves, he would cover the the green signals at their chosen spots, and using battery and wire, he would turn on a red signal. Oh, that's fun. I feel correct when I say not well. Yeah. Actually, really well. I mean, well. if it works. It did well enough, but... Uh, but <laughs> now you couldn't do that. But at the, in the 60s, the wires were probably open. They could you could do a lot of stuff right. in the 60s. If it was far enough away, look good. So they have their day, they have their time, they have their way to stop the trains. So they lay low at Leather Slade Farm, their safe house, drinking beer and playing Monopoly, waiting for the time to come. I mean, don't we all... Did this end with them, like, killing each other over the game of Monopoly? <laughs> Weirdly, no, but Monopoly comes back up. Oh, huh. doesn't it always? So they review their plan over and over. They leave at midnight. They were planning to pretend as a, to be a ma- uh, army unit on night maneuvers, which is fair. We're Cold sure. War. Yeah. They had army vehicles, uniforms, fake official papers in order to look the part. At 10 p.m., they got word from the Ulsterman that the money is on its way. So in the early hours, so it was around 3 a.m., they loaded the vehicles and they head out to Leighton Buzzard. At the distant signal, they drop off. John Daly, Roger Corduroy take care of the signals and continue on to Redago Bridge, where they don blue overalls and to mask their army uniforms. They split off and they had like posts. Literally Ocean's Eleven, but with a train. Right. In the 60s. And less, and less technology. And British people. Yeah. Bad teeth. They Actually, surprisingly, what? looking at the pictures, not that bad of teeth. I don't believe that. <laughs> I have pictures. Are you sure? <laughs> they take tape across the track to indicate where the train was to be stopped for unloading. They cut the phone lines uh, to call out. They cut the overhead phone lines that service the district. And it's at 3 a.m. when the trains coming to the site using a portable radio reynolds give the word the false signals was activated the train slows pulls up to where the, like it basically imagine it, like they see the signal it pulls up right to where the tape is and they're like well, huh. hello horses were up the really <laughs> fucking it. wonderful train ride. absolutely top <laughs> the train's fireman got got out of the cabin made his way to the emergency call box to phone ahead it's dead he turns back to the train and is like person it's buster edwards in overalls next to the train track and he assumes like he's in overalls he's a new line worker and he walks towards him he's overpowered by two accomplices in bak- bakaklavas balaklavas balaklavas you know that real well Mike. thank you um they pushed him down into an embankment where he's handcuffed number three the burliest of the gang entered the cabin jack driver was starting to was startled being confronted tried to resist but he's, which one's the handsome one and which one's the bad who's luke evans playing <laughs> He's the mastermind mm-hmm. of all of this. He organized mm-hmm. all of this. Um, the driver was hit on the head, sustained a more serious injury when he fell against the side of the cab. He's dragged away and replaced by gang members. Mills is under threat of more beating. He's required to release a vacuum brake that prevented the train from being moved after it had been uncoupled from the mail car. So they're trying to separate. Right, yeah. Postal workers and the high-value coach were alerted by the sound of the uncoupling, but before they could do anything, the gang smetched into that coach... <laughs> And began overpowering. You're just mail workers. You're just that sucks. Workers. That's so shit. I just saw a holiday. 
They're working on a holiday. They're getting the shit beat out of them. They got the shit shift. They're working as it crosses. Like yeah, like at three a.m. You wouldn't even have to beat me. I would just. I just be like, take it. It's yours. Whatever. I'll get paid regardless. It's insured, guys. It's insured. Um. So they're bound, gagged, and left laying face down as the gang begins unloading everything. This is the worst day ever for these guys. I like. It was already terrible. I like the fact that they still fought though. They're like, for king, for queen and country. How about them lads? <laughs> and you give me it. liberty or give me letter openers. No, they're British. It I know that. It wouldn't yeah. work. So they did a human chain to get all of the money out into the trucks. It only took forty minutes. Honestly, it's not bad. No, if you think about it, like their money's they're heavy. Like the number of people stuff. and the logistics involved. Well, also it's the fact that they don't know what's money and what's not, right? Mm-hmm. So they're moving just every yeah. Yeah, that's not bad at all. No, they're just throwing that. bags around. So they left seven mailbags behind in the coach. They made their getaway. Total, it took three hours to unload the bags and view the spoil. Two million six hundred thirty-one thousand seven hundred eighty-four pounds. That's a lot of. I'm not gonna lie. I can't think of many crimes I wouldn't commit to get that much money. Now exactly. I have so much debt. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, they committed the crime at starting at three. Yeah. At 5 a.m., Chief Superintendent Maxwell Tetrell, head of the Buckinghamshire Police Criminal Investigation, located Aylesbury, arrived at the crime scene and he was like, let's get that Evans up, bitches. He then goes to Cheddington Station where the train had been taken after and he gets to state postal workers and the driver and a member from the gang had actually told the workers not to move for half an hour and suggest that their hideout could not be more than 30 miles or just don't talk just don't say anything well you don't want them to move right away when you leave so if you tell them to wait 30 minutes i would say i would assume you could drive further than that uh, yeah, I don't know. Probably they're like, know. that would be how long it would take us. You could keep driving. Yeah. Just, What's going to stop you? Right. They figured out that it was about 15 hooded men dressed in blue broiler suits were involved, but not much more. Determined by lunchtime the following day, it became obvious to Fetrell that he needed more resources. He's like this. Right. Because Buckinghamshire is kind of more country. It's isolated. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like a sheriff handling like a major crime. Yeah. And we don't want to pull a lot of those things where people go back and look and like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So he was like, you know what? Let's call Scotland Yard. Oh, he gets a hold of George Hathrill, commander of the C Department, and Detective Chief Superintendent Ernest Mullen, head of the Flying Squad. So they were going to take over the London side. Specifically, Tommy Butler, who the professor... Slughorn. Yeah. That guy plays. Jim Brent plays. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's known as the Thief Taker. What a good name. <laughs> Why do we not have great names like this Seriously. anymore? Seriously. It's because we don't have fun and imagination anymore in the government. <laughs> so There's no sense of wonder. Or if we do, we've hidden it so deep in the CIA that we just <laughs> In the bureaucracy. Yeah, no one gets to know about it until 30 years later when they write their book. And we all cry. Oh, well. So he was put really in charge of the Great Train Robbery. Pretty much the renowned head of the Flying Squad in its history, which... The flying squad was like high petty fat that bring with it's him. it sounds like the coolest name to the least cool force. <laughs> the flying squad for petty theft. The well, anti it's pickpockets. More like, it's more, yeah. It started off as that, but then it became more like white collar crime, big like big Okay, big so big, yeah. it grew, yeah. but initially it was just petty crime. So it's just like a scrappy bunch of investigators. They had a big problem with pet like theft in London, so they were like they would go around in the carriage and just, like, watch and make sure people wouldn't steal things and then catch them and basically throw a black carriage and they would go away. 
not to be an American about it, you said a carriage. I do you really mean a horse-drawn carriage? Yeah, it started that long ago. It started. The, okay, so okay, it's, so it's, it started a long time ago. Was it like nineteen sixty? No, no, quickly get the carriage. It started before cars were a thing. Okay, okay, I was yeah. just initial like what more are they popular, doing? More popular, like affordable. Tickets. Okay, okay, sorry. Yeah. No, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> no that's a good question because yeah, like. The fact that police have cars now. It's pretty new. Yeah. So he was known as Mr. Flying Squad, One Day Tommy. For the speed which he would uh, apprehend criminals. <laughs> Gray Fox for his shoot us. Oh, is it because he was old and hot? <laughs> I just love that he has so many names like Thief Taker, Mr. Flying Squad, One Day Tommy, Gray Fox. Running tab with his local bar. <laughs> <laughs> he walks in, they're like, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the guy? Oh, sorry. Um, and because he was unmarried and lived with his mother, he pretty much just worked all the time. What's his other Listen, name? Listen, bitch, nerd? you ain't special. Me Loser. too. <laughs> he would work long hours and pretty much expected everyone else to do the same. They would they basically figured out a way to do rotations where one member would go home to rest. Otherwise, they were only getting three hours of sleep per night. Jeez. No so time to eat healthily or see them if they didn't figure out the schedule. Why? All right. Because There's Tommy a really loves to work. Good and, for Tommy. But everyone else didn't get a chance. Yes, they sucks for everyone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When the squad was like, hey, maybe we should see our families occasionally. Maybe we should have a salad. Tommy said, pussies. Basically. <laughs> and he's like, do you want to go back on the beat? And they're like, never mind. No, we're good. We're good. Because it's really Sorry. prestigious to be on this, uh, the police squad. Unit. Yeah. He was also very secretive with Jack Slipper claiming in his book, Slipper of the Art, which came out in 19... 19- Pretty good. And it's, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. Quote, he wouldn't even tell his own left hand what the right hand, the right one was doing. This guy sounds like an awful boss. Sounds like he's really type A. He sounds like one of those obnoxious geniuses that's like going to be remembered in history, but no one liked him when he was a alive. Benedict, a Benedict Cumberbatch character. <laughs> that is actually most of the characters he plays where people are like look at how great this person was and then you're like no one liked him yeah everyone thought he was a dick so basically because of the secrecy everyone was dispatched to tasks but they have no idea how everything fits together so great so they could have picked up additional information but they're like they don't know what to do with it yeah so the robbery squad is a six-man team consisting of invest uh detective investigator frank williams uh detective sergeant steve moore detective sergeant jeff slipper detective sergeant jim neville Louis Van Dyke and Tommy Thornburn, well, and, uh, Tommy Butler, and the senior officer was Frank Williams. So basically, they're trying to orchestrate everyone. Is not near where the crime no, happened. No, not. So there's also a post post office investigation because you know the it's post a, office. It's technically involved. its own thing. Yeah, I always love the fact that the post office investigates things. They're a branch of the government. So they were the one tasked with establishing the amount of money stolen and they concluded it was £2,595,987.10 shillings. Gotta keep track of those. They're British. Of course they would. In fairness, we would too. (laughs) Oh, At least we didn't have to get down to pence because there was no pence. And it was really, they need to identify what money was stolen so they could Everything in this car was reported and secured from the service. So just think of like how they they probably knew the rain note. So if it pops up, they're going to be like, they know where to look. Yeah. Hey, this banknote is suddenly in circulation. And then they were like, hey, maybe we should install radios in our like cars, our train cars. On top of it, they sent from the post office Detective Superintendent Gerald MacArthur and Detective Sergeant John Pritchard to assist the book. They start with a major search. 
fanning out from the crime scene after failing to find any forensic evidence there. They put a watch on seaports, which at that point, they could have driven to... Well, the channel I mean, wasn't there, but they could have had a, a boat waiting to get them across. Yeah, they could be... Honestly, yeah, anywhere, but this isn't like the United States where your options by boat are somewhat limited. Right, you could have just, like, had a guy with a fishing trawler waiting, and you could have gotten to the con. Yeah, pretty. Yeah. Um, The Postmaster General... Reginald Bevins offered a £10,000 reward for the per- quote, the first person giving information conviction of the person's responsible. So they had, like, they started off with a pretty solid plan. On top of it, the gang's original plan was to stay at the farmhouse for two weeks. So they're like, we're just going to lay low. Sure. Let stay quiet. Which works most of the time if you just stay put out of yeah, sight. Yeah, you out just of don't, don't make any noise. Any money. Yep. Yeah. However... The police broadcast announcing their escapade and the revelations and that every newspaper in the land is now looking for them and reporting on this shit. They're like, oh, fuck, we got to go. They so got like, panicked. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they leave in a new transport. They have an unknown accomplice paid to clean the farmhouse of all evidence. They just burn it down. <laughs> that yeah. would have been better. Like, honestly, yeah. So a suspicious vehicle was reported at an old farmhouse about 30 miles from the crime scene, which would be Letterstead Farm. And it was in there. They found food, sleeping bags, bedding, um, banknote wrappers, post office sacks. Wow, that guy did a crap job. Did he even show up? I guarantee you he didn't. He took a paycheck and said, bye, suckers. Um, guess where they found fingerprints? Everywhere. On the toilet. On everything. Bottle of ketchup and the Monopoly. Wah, this is wah. stupid. Wow. <laughs> These people deserve to go to and jail. And they used some of the one pound, five pound, and ten pound notes they had stolen for the Monopoly. Oh my lord. If you have two million dollars and change You're sitting- feeling cocky with the Monopoly game. Um, and that's only eight days after the robbery that they find the safe house. I mean, after eight days, I would be bored enough that I would be playing Monopoly. I'll be honest, I'm actually shocked it took that. 60s. But still, like, that seems a very long time. But you're, yeah, you're right. So, within a day of the discovery, they were like, hey, Roger Cordray, fingerprints number one. Ding. He was with his friend William Bull, who was helping him lie low in return for a payment of old debt. So, they were living in a rented, fully furnished flat above a florist shop in Wimborne Road, Bourne Smile. Okay. You just made those up. (laughs) They were tipped off by, um... Someone's grandpa had a stroke and they just named it that. (laughs) They were tipped off by a police widow, Ethel Clark, who um, they paid for for rent in the garage uh, three months in advance, and they used 10 shilling notes. That's weird. Yeah. Even though Bull was not involved in the robbery, he was sentenced to 24 years and died in... Wow. Poor dumb bastard. Mm -hmm. Later on, they would acknowledge him. That he was a victim of. So they did acknowledge, like, hey, we fucked up. Well, boy, that sure helped them. I'm sure he felt way better about the situation. Yeah. His spirit stopped haunting the police station. Did it? I'm sure it it didn't. No, it now just haunts the, um... The prison. The descendants of the police officers. Of the prisoners that raped. Oh, I was going with the police officers. You went a bit darker with that. I did. Um, so within a week of that, Charlie Wilson was arrested in London, and the police were onto Bruce Reynolds, Jimmy White, Roy James, and Buster Edwards. So it's all starting to kind of unravel. Honestly, at this point, like, get out of the country. Like, honestly, at this point, just run. If you're one of the guys that has access to the big bulk of the money, get out. Get on a boat. You've got the money. Get out. um, Get a plane, whatever. I wouldn't do a plane because they would check the planes. They'd check. I don't know where planes. I have Sorry, no idea. Mind. I don't know. If you get in this. um like a big car carrier or something like that, get there across the ocean. Sure. It's harder to check. So Big's print fingerprints were found on the bottle of ketchup, and he's arrested September fourth, three. So like literally almost a month later. Yeah. He joins Charlie Wilson, Tommy Wisby, Jim Hussey, Bob Welch in Bedford. 
prison to await trial. And at that time, they learned that Goody had been arrested or had been questioned, but was let go because of insufficient evidence. Woo! Suckers. Several oh, that must later. feel so good. Feels so good. But several <laughs> weeks later, he too was arrested and tried. God damn it. <laughs> that must feel so bad. <laughs> so after two months of being at Bedford, Biggs was planning an escape. Good for him. And But he had to wait as they were transferred to Ainsbury Prison. Because they're like, hey, this guy likes to escape. They Remember? connected the dots. Yeah, oh, he kept shoot. fucking escaping. So they're like, oh. they At that time, they learned the evidence again really fucking strong. And Biggs was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. He starts plotting. He was fooled when one of his friends got cold feet. Again, trust no one. Trust no one. Leave everyone behind. Get Audience. Um, Learn the lesson. By December of that year, John Weeder, Brian Phillips, John Daly, and Roy James were arrested. James actually had a beautiful, like, that cinematic chase across neighborhood rooftops before his capture. And um, Reynolds manages to evade uh, arrest. So they had planned the gang that was in Ainsbury Prison plans to escape, um, but they were watched really closely until their trial began. In January 20th, 1964, they appeared Justice Edmund Dave at Buckinghamshire Assizes. This would be Ronnie Biggs, Tommy Wesley, Charlie Wilson, Roy James, Bob Welch, Gordon Goody, Leonard Field, Brian Field, William Bull, and John Weeder all pleaded not guilty. It's about <laughs> 10 dudes. Well, I know. I didn't do it. <laughs> That's great. Well, I like that you, you all watched me take a breath before. Before I said, yeah, <laughs> the, the laundry list of people. Um, Brian Cordry was the only man to plead guilty and gave back his share of money, which was about eighty thousand. All right. So what happened? <laughs> Two weeks into trial, it surfaced that uh, Briggs had a criminal record, and they were like, uh, "This is going to deal with the jury. We're going to halt the trial and order them to separate." This goes on. Trial goes on for months. Includes testimony from bank officers. The train ride driver Jack Mills told the story of the robbery. His was so severe that he has. Had, so remember, he hit his head, too, on top of it. So he, oh, yeah. they, they knocked him over, and then he hit his head. So brain injuries. Woo. Not fun. No. no John bueno. Daly, who was implicated because his fingerprints were found on the Monopoly game. I just love that this Monopoly game that they played while they waited comes back into play. Think about how much that must haunt them. Like, one of them must be sitting there going, like, this stupid game. I didn't even want to play that <laughs> night. Someone talked yep. me. He was acquitted during the defense proceedings in March 4. His lawyer said that his fingerprints could have been on the game prior to the farm. It could have been a set that someone borrowed. And sure. Happened there. Jury didn't buy it. Wait, so he was acquitted? Yeah. Wait, really? He got off oh, on yeah. that? Yeah. Woo! Wow. Sorry, that's great. I love that. <laughs> on March 25th, 1964, the jury found all of the accused guilty of conspiracy to rob. So that's Tom Wisby, Roy James, Charlie Wilson, Bob Bell, Jim Hussey, and Gordon Goody. So that's six men um, of robbery with violence. Honestly, six out of 15 is not bad. No. No, not by any no. means. Um, sentencing wouldn't be down until Big's trial, which was rescheduled. Uh, we need to separate him. His retrial only took seven days, and they were like, yeah, you you hella guilty. Uh, this is not going to go well for you. No. On April 16, 64, the sentences were handed down by Justice, who was rehabbing the device. Sounds like an opportunity to make an example of some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Each man received 30 years. John Weeder, who arranged the safe house, received three years. Robert Corduroy received 20 years. He said, I did it. Here's the money. Yeah. I fucked up. William Ball received 24. Brian and Leonard Field, five. After appeals, Corduroy and Ball sentenced to 14 years each. And oh, Brian, good for them. Well, that's so nice. <laughs> 
Yeah. And Brian and Leonard Field each had their sentences reduced to five years. So they have, like, decent lawyers. Remember we said... Yeah, I was going to say, honestly... That isn't as awful as I was expecting. Yeah. So Buster Edwards, Bruce Reynolds, and Jimmy White were all found and jailed by 19... Edwards had fled to Mexico, but turned himself in three years after the crime. Why would you do that? No, stay in Mexico. <laughs> have a great time. <laughs> um, after five years on the run, Mastermind Reynolds, a.k.a. Luke, was captured and sentenced to 10 years in prison. And they were placed in prisons across the country because, like, hey... They didn't want all of them together. Yeah. You should not put this... Clearly group- these guys cooperate. They're the perfect group project group, and we don't want them together. Right. Well, it's... 1964, Charlie Wilson, who was incarcerated at Winston Green, Mexican Security Prison, was the first of the game to escape. Ah. He was recaptured four years later. Oh, okay. Wow, that's an impressive run. Seriously. He liked to fucking escape. Four years on the run is really impressive. (laughs) Right. Biggs was sent to Wandsworth Prison, a.k.a. British Alcatraz. After 15 months of being there, he escaped in a furniture van and notorious. He underwent plastic surgery to disguise his face. Wow. Fled to Australia, then Brazil, where he settled in 19... 19- he's really going for it. He's like, if I'm going to fucking escape... I'm this guy's right. fucking great. <laughs> he loves escaping. Um, the people who actually escaped have escaped before, so they're like... They're I'm good at it. They know what to yeah. do. He's in Brazil in the 1970s, where he settled as... Michael Haynes. He evaded return to the UK for more than three decades despite attempts to extradite him. <laughs> oh, so they even know he's there. <laughs> That's so much better. He just sends, I would just send a photocopy of my ass to the British government every week. (laughs) Send it to Scotland Yard. Oh, that's so great. He would be a great person to just do an episode on him. Seriously. (laughs) Fun. Once in 1974, when Slipper showed up, so member of the Flying Squad, at his door. So he shows up and he's like, fuck no, bitch. I'm in Brazil. so one guy You want came, tea? Come sit down. You can't one guy do anything. Came to his house in Brazil. Oh, Brazil in the and the like in this period. Fuck Latin America in this period. Like unless you're buddy buddies with the country, like Yeah, no, no. You're not going that, back. That's the best thing. Nazis running around that think they're about not extraditing anybody. Yeah, I, think about how great that must be. Your like mortal enemy comes to your house, they can't do shit to you. Oh my god, it's great. You just sit on that's your front so porch. <laughs> you have tea with them and they can't touch you. Yeah. <laughs> well, think about how they got Eichmann back. They literally had to abduct They abducted the him. Yeah. <laughs> he had to black ops this guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and in 1981, oh, they had a kidnapping attempt by an ex-military. In 2001, Biggs, who uh-huh. basically almost got away with it, returned to the UK voluntarily. God damn it. Why? Because he was old as fuck. At that point, oh, just stay so, in Brazil. Uh, yeah. Have a great time in well, Brazil. Do whatever. Go anywhere. So, so he's like, well, also, there's this. He's like, he's going to serve out the remaining 28 years of a sentence in a Norwich jail for elderly inmates. So it's probably dangerous. So it's just a retirement home. Yeah, it's insane. We know I ran out of justice. money and just decided to take <laughs> I'll have the government take care of yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. He outlived his rival, Jack Slip, passed away in 2005, so he's like, oh, motherfucker. God, this guy's the best. <laughs> you can go see the Monopoly game on display at the Thames uh, Valley. Wow. That's awesome. God, that's great. Oh, what a great time. And that's the great thing. I love it. It's so much fun. <laughs> Greater for some than others. <laughs> Greater yeah, for He's just like, hey, motherfucker. He got to spend 30 plus years in Brazil living the time of his life and then went back on his own terms. God, I love it. That's he awesome. really won. If, yeah. if I didn't have to restrict it for time, I would have looked up like the people trying to bring him back because there's another time. Plus, the, he was almost kidnapped and all that. 
That's awesome. That's so oh, much what fun. a good time. <laughs> some of the guys have written autobiographies. Like you can definitely go look them up more. But it's just it's such a crazy thing. And I watched the like BBC show and I was just like, fuck. Yeah, it's this such is a nuts. weirdly it's, ridiculous crime. It feels so like especially the period that it's taking place in. It feels, it feels so out of time. Yeah, it doesn't feel like well like train robbery. Yeah, yeah. I, I say train robbery. My mind immediately goes to 1880s, 1890s, right. something like that. Yeah, and like that's awesome. I love it. And the fact that they got away with so much, they really didn't kill anyone. Yeah, honestly, it was. I'm not gonna say it's a victimless crime, but it's a well executed one. They did it. Yeah, I recommend watching the series. I think it's really good, just the way they had set it up too, where it's like it's like a caper and then a police documentary. Yeah, with great actors. You get both sides of the story. Well, it's um. And it's only like I think three max three hours. Well, the yeah. only person I got hurt was the government. We don't care about them, says the American, <laughs> the <laughs> British the government. government. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this was involved in the the crown because I have no idea. Because no. that would be really interesting if you just saw, even saw them like opening crossover a newspaper in there. And right. There it is because like that's oh, a lot I of say. money for them to lose. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like well, two, cool. like was it two million? Yeah, two, yeah, over two million yeah. taken. So, yeah. and they didn't get all of it back. Right, <sighs> a few of them got away. God, that's great. Yeah, we're drunk thunks. We're at uh, Facebook um, or Gmail at drunkthunks at gmail dot com or on Twitter at dthunks at Twitter. Um, I don't know what else is there. Yeah, well, uh, we have an Instagram page and uh, we yeah, do that. podcasts about just all of the horrible things that happen in history. And Basically, we talk about anything in history that we think is entertaining. Yeah, so Funny, yeah, listen yeah. to us if you want to like, you know, have a drink with your friends and chat about history because that's kind of about the closest to what we do. Is like, cool. Cool. All right. Love it. Um, well, thank you. I love you. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Love you more. Oh, wait, am I like all of yours first? Hey, everyone. I'm Michael. I'm Brittany. And I'm Jake. And together we are the hosts of Drunk Thunks, a new comedy history podcast where we drink and share stories from history. If you're the kind of person who likes to drink and chat history with your friends, we are the podcast for you. You can find us on all major podcast platforms and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Drunk Thunks. We hope you'll stop by soon. Thank you. Thanks. Evidence Locker is a weekly podcast about international true crime. Made by hardcore true crime fans, it's somewhat grungy. Join us as we explore the dark corners of the globe. We've covered cases from Sweden, Brazil, Australia, and the U.S., to mention a few. Find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. of domesticity we're available on all podcatchers remember to rate review subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it our facebook and twitter are at domestic podcasts and our instagram is at the cult of domesticity we also have podcast merch at threadless uh as well if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation we have a paypal tip jar and a patreon which has some pretty great perks any topic suggestions feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com remember to stay domestic and cult free